If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can open them up to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 to 20 this morning. And I wonder if there's ever been a time where you were introduced to someone, and then as you got to know that person more, you came to realize that they had a power or maybe an ability or a character trait that you didn't realize when you first met them. Maybe it was someone who looked relatively weak physically, but then you shook their hand and they had one of those business crippling handshakes and you realize this person is stronger than they look. Maybe it's someone you met who you leave, you say that person's a lot smarter than they look. Whatever it is, they have a strength or a power that they possess that you didn't originally think they would have. That familiar feeling that we've all experienced is the feeling that the disciples are about to experience in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. As they stand on a hillside and see Jesus interact with a demon-possessed man, they will come to realize that this man that they have spent so much time with is stronger than they originally believed. In fact, this would be the greatest display of power that Jesus would put on since he cast the demons out of his presence before the creation of the world. And the disciples would be there watching this great display of power. And they would come to realize who Jesus really is. Now Jesus is putting his power on display, not just to show off. As Jesus puts his power on display, he does it with great intentionality because he wants to accomplish something in the disciples' hearts. And this morning, he wants to accomplish something in our hearts. He wants to show us that if we have any chance at possessing the faith that is required to follow him, we must be gripped by his power. Let me say that again. If, if we have any chance of possessing the faith that is required to follow him, we must be gripped by his power. And how greatly we need to learn this lesson this morning because following Jesus is impossible if you aren't gripped by his mighty power. Think about this for a moment. You are not going to turn to Jesus in your life if you don't think that Jesus has power. What happens when our hearts are gripped with the power of Jesus? What would happen when anxiety started to well up in our souls and in our hearts? Well, our faith in the powerful Jesus Christ would compel us to believe that he will take care of us. What would happen when our sin was revealed to us, and it just seems to have such a deep root in our heart that we could never get rid of it, that we could never deal with it. Well, we would take it to Jesus knowing that he is the one who has all the power and is able to free us from our sin. See, it is impossible to follow Jesus unless you are gripped by his great power. And this morning, we'll see Jesus putting his power on display for us. I want you to see first in Mark chapter 5 that if you're going to come to grips with the power of Jesus, then you must expect the destructive power of the enemy. If you're going to come to grips with the power of Jesus, you must expect the destructive 
power of the enemy. Now, let's just get some context in the Gospel of Mark. By this point in Mark, the disciples had seen Jesus' power put on display time and time again, and yet they still were not gripped by it. In fact, in this very moment, they're still shaken by perhaps the most terrifying event that they would ever experience. In Mark 4, they boarded a boat with Jesus, and while Jesus was asleep on a boat, a great storm came. And as wind was shaking the boat and waves were coming over the sides of their boat, their hearts were filled with fear, and in desperation, they cried out to the sleeping Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? In an amazing display of power, we are very familiar with the story. Jesus stands and he speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, be still. And he puts his power over nature on display for the disciples so that there is no doubt that Jesus' power is unique. Yet something interesting happens at the end of Mark 4. You would expect after a moment like that that Jesus might turn around to the disciples and say, That was crazy, wasn't it? Can you believe that I slept through such a huge storm like that? It's a good thing you guys woke me up. Instead, what does Jesus do? He turns around and he says to the disciples, Why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, why would Jesus say that? Because we, we, we can sympathize with the disciples, can't we? Like, I'm fearing for my life and you are asleep on a boat, and yet Jesus wants to teach his disciples this, that he has great power that they must be gripped by, and yet they weren't gripped by it, so that they responded to Jesus. They said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're asking this question, who is this man? Now, the answer to that question comes in the form of a story. Instead of answering the question with a a lesson, Jesus will show them exactly who he is. And we have a saying that actions speak louder than words, and this is the compassion of Jesus for us this morning, that instead of just saying he's powerful, instead of just saying he has all the power, he's going to show us that he has all the power and call us to be gripped by this power. And so by his sovereignty, as soon as they get off this boat, a man comes running up to them, and we read of it in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Look what it says. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. See, immediately after, as he steps off the boat, this man, the subject of Jesus' lesson, runs up to him. Mark tells us that Jesus is met by this man who has an unclean spirit. Now, we'll learn more about this later, but this man doesn't just have one unclean spirit. He has thousands upon thousands of demons that are possessing him. And as we come to know this man and see the picture of this man's life, we'll be increasingly horrified by the destruction that these demons have had in this man's life. His life is completely destroyed. One commentator notes that the description of this man's destruction and ruin is one of the most lamentable stories in all of Scripture. This man's life has been brought to absolute ruin by the destructive power of the demons that are inside of him. And so he was banished to the tombs. The tombs functioned in that day as a a modern-day graveyard. 
living among the dead, he would be ritually unclean according to Levitical law. And so essentially what society was saying to this man is, you're dead to us. You're of no value. We can't handle you. See, Satan had, had such a grip on this man's life. Evil had rooted so deeply into his heart that he was counted among the dead. He was just as good as dead. Satan had destroyed him to this degree. If you're an unbeliever here, you need to hear this. And you need to seriously consider what Satan and his demons and the powers of evil are attempting to do in your life. They are attempting to destroy you eternally. And if you are outside the protection of the power of Christ, you are completely vulnerable to the attacks of Satan and his demons and the forces of evil. Satan is aiming for your destruction. This is why in John 8:44, Jesus calls him a murderer from the beginning. He has murderous intent. And yet here is Jesus in this man's path, stopping him. And the compassion we see that Jesus has for this man, I want you to see that he has for you in this very moment. See, in this moment, as Satan is seeking to destroy your life, he has brought you here to see the power that Jesus has to deliver you from your sin. And so take note, Satan is seeking to destroy your life. Now the tombs, they were a suitable place for this man because he was an absolute terror to those that were around him. Verse 3 says, tells us he was so set on destruction that he could no longer be dealt with. Look what it says in verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. See, they had tried to bind him, but in verse 4 it says, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. You see the depth of the destruction that was in this man's life. Nobody could bind him, not for any length of time, not with any type of material. This man was hopeless, so much so that Mark even admits this. He says, no one had the strength to subdue him. He was a hopeless case. Not only was he terror to those around him, he was a terror to himself. So then in verse 5, it says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And we need to stop right here for a moment. The feeling that we should have as we read of the destruction that has been brought on this man's life is like the feeling that you have when you see a horrific car crash. And it's just destruction everywhere. And we look at this man's life, and that is all we see, the absolute destruction. And this is what we should come to expect from the enemies of Christ. This is what we need to expect if we'll be gripped by the power of Christ. Satan and his demons are out to destroy. In fact, every time in Scripture, as we get a glimpse of Satan working, as we get a glimpse of the powers of evil at work, we see that their desire is your destruction. So in the garden, we see Adam and Eve, and there's Satan tempting them to disobey God, tempting them to destroy their relationship with God. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
All through scripture, wherever Satan shows up, his aim is destruction. And so let me ask you this. Have you come to expect the destructive power of Satan in your life? For many of us, the answer is no. Instead, it's likely that we don't really expect the forces of evil to be having any impact in our life. We're in the middle of a war And Satan is waging an attack on us, and many of us are walking around with no idea. Here is a lion prowling around, seeking your destruction. And the call that Christ is making to you this morning is to see it and to expect it. Many of us around this lion and acting as though there's no danger at all. And this is exactly the way that Satan would have it. See, what Jesus is doing here for us is he's teaching us the way that evil works in our life. See, Christ's enemies, they don't like to be expected. In fact, they like nothing more than to destroy your life without you knowing it. So notice that the text says that that this man could not be bound anymore, which means that there was a time in his life where he could be bound. There was a time in his life where evil had not brought so much destruction in his life, but now it had had brought him to a point where he was completely hopeless. He could not be bound anymore. This is the way that evil seeks to work in our life. See, we're not often presented a life-shattering, life-destroying sin on a platter. We're not, not often tempted to do something like cheat on our spouse, but when that happens, how do you see it happen? It starts with something small. Maybe it's a lustful look. Maybe it's a private conversation. And it leads to something bigger. Maybe an addiction to pornography. Maybe seeking out a private meeting. And step by step, Satan is leading, attempting to lead us into our own destruction. And he loves when we are completely oblivious of it. And so the question is, we know that the enemies of Christ are seeking to destroy us. The question is, what foothold do they have in your life? What is in your life right now that the enemies of Christ could use to destroy you? Here's a man destroyed by the power of Christ's enemies, and yet he stands in the presence of the one who is able to deliver. And so the next thing I want you to see in Mark chapter 5 is that I'll only come to grips with Jesus's power when I experience the delivering power of the Savior. I need to experience the delivering power of the Savior. Now in verse 6, we take our eyes off the destruction and we set them back on the encounter between our compassionate Lord Jesus Christ and this man who has the unclean spirit. Now that Mark's set the stage for the destructive power, he wants to show us even more the delivering power of Jesus Christ. And so we read this story with great anticipation. No one has the strength to subdue this man, and yet here is one who may, Jesus Christ himself. Is it possible that Jesus could have the power to deliver this man? Now, it's clear what the demons think of the power of Jesus. Before the battle could even begin, the man who is powerful enough to break bonds of of steel, to break shackles, he hurls himself at the feet of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 6. And when, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. 
Listen to the, what he screams to Jesus. He says, what have you to do with me? See, the initial words of the demons, they, they show us who has the ultimate power, who has the ultimate authority. Even the demons know who is more powerful in this exchange. See, why do the demons who have brought such destruction to this man's life submit so quickly to Jesus? It's because they know exactly who Jesus is so that they correctly call him, look what they call him, the son of the most high God. Up to this point in Mark, and for many more chapters, not even the disciples would recognize him as that. And yet here are the demons calling him the son of the most high God. They rightly recognize the unique and universal power that Jesus Christ possesses. That there's no power like him because there is no power above him. He has ultimate power. So notice what the demons that the demons know exactly what is about to happen. So they beg Jesus. They say, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. The demons understood where they stood in relationship to Christ. They understood that they were the enemies of Christ. And so they're begging Christ, do not torment me, because they realize that not only is Christ's power superior to theirs, it is also hostile to them. Now again, if you're an unbeliever here, you need to take Note of this. This is the great problem of sin. The problem with sin is not just that you're indifferent to God, so you're not following him. The problem with our sin is that it's actually hostility to God. Our sin proves that we are at enmity with God. This is why we are so deserving of condemnation outside of Christ, because in our life we have done everything to wage war against God himself. And so we see the demons here who are hostile and yet know the power of Christ. And they're bowing before him, begging not to be tormented. Now, here's my question. If the demons know the superior and hostile power of Jesus towards them, why do they come running towards Jesus? Like, this is just basic martial arts, okay? If you know as much martial arts as I do, which is like zero, then what you do when you see someone who's bigger than you and hostile towards you, is you run the other way. Isn't that a great martial art art tactic? You just have to run faster than them. And so how come the demons are here, not running away from Jesus, instead they're running towards him? Well, the demons know what Jesus' intent is. The demons know that Jesus is here to deliver this hopeless man. We see that in verse 8. It says, For he was saying to them, notice that he was saying to them, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. See, what happens in verse 7 is in response to the fact that Jesus has already made it clear that his desire is to deliver this man from their destructive power. Their fear and respect and understanding of the power that Jesus had caused them to bow before Jesus. Now this morning, we need to see and be gripped by this reality that Jesus' power is a delivering power. The Son of the Most High, he came to deliver his children from their sin. And if you are a child of God this morning, you can rejoice because in the presence of Jesus, you are kneeling at the feet of the one who came to deliver you. 
Whenever you are in the presence of Jesus, you are in the presence of the delivering power. He desires to deliver you from your sin. This is the compassion of Jesus Christ, where the demons and those who are outside tremble and fear the children of God can find great comfort because the power that Christ possesses, he possesses for their deliverance. So let me ask you this. When Jesus returns, what reaction will you have? He's coming back to deliver his children and to destroy his enemies. The question is this. As a child of God, will you experience the delivering power of the Savior? Or as an enemy of God, will you experience the condemning power of his justice? The coming of Christ will be a lot like when, if police were to show up at your house and you were in the middle of being robbed. If police show up to a house that's in the middle of being robbed, there are two reactions from two different people. If it's your house and you're the one in danger, don't you find great comfort? Here is someone to deliver us from the danger that we are in. And yet, if you're the criminal in that house, you find you have great fear and great trembling because you're the one in, in the wrong. It's the same people showing up, the same presence, and yet two different reactions to it. And the question is this, when Christ returns, what will your reaction be? And the offer to you this morning is to have the reaction of comfort in the presence of Christ who desires to deliver you from your evil by his great salvation. And Mark, he wants you to find even more comfort than this by giving us a a window into the nature and the identity of the unclean spirits. Jesus is showing us that he's not only intent on delivering us, he's also able to deliver us. And so in verse 9, we come to understand who these unclean spirits are. It says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, by revealing the name of the demon, Jesus doesn't have to do this. This isn't some, like, exorcism formula. But by revealing the name of the demon, Jesus is showing us exactly what he's up against. The demon's name is Legion. This word Legion is used for a Roman army that that contained close to 6,000 soldiers. And so the number, it's significant here. This isn't just a 1 verse 1. This is 1 verse 6,000. And this isn't just an unorganized mob of demons. This is an organized fleet of soldiers that are intent on destruction. This is military warfare. They're after something here. You see what Mark's doing for us? Again, he's showing us the destruction that the enemy wants to have in your life. And yet, why is he spending so much time showing us the power of the evil one? It's because if Jesus is able to deliver this man, How much more is he able to deliver you? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus can deliver this man from his hopeless situation, how much more can we be delivered from our hopeless situations? The disciples had asked, who is this man? And and here they receive the answer. He is the one who is able to deliver the most hopeless In verses 10 to 13, we see the deliverance take place. Look what it says. It says, And and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now I know as we read this, 
we probably have a lot of questions. Why the pigs? Or some of the men are probably asking, was this like the historical beginning of Bacon Fest? And there are a lot of questions that this raises, and I want to try as best as we can to answer those, but can we just take a moment to appreciate what's happening here? Here's the delivering power of Jesus on display for us this morning. The man who could not be subdued is subdued. The demons that could not be bound are released. The man who could have no deliverance is delivered. What great comfort we need to find in these words. Jesus is the one who is able to bring healing to the most hopeless. He's able to deliver the destroyed. And if Jesus is able to deliver, as he just did this man from his hopeless situation, how much more is he able to deliver you? Christian, take comfort in this passage. Many are here with a burden of difficult circumstances. Maybe you're walking through a specific trial, and you are heavenly burdened. In the valley of darkness, you see no way to the other side. And Jesus has stopped you in, his, in your tracks this morning to tell you that he has the power to deliver you from evil. That he is able to do it. He's able to protect you from harm. Christian, think about your sin for a moment. Maybe there is a sin struggle in your life that just seems like it's rooted so deeply that it'll never be fixed. That you'll never see deliverance from it. And Christ is stopping you in your tracks this morning to say that he has the power to deliver you from the most deeply rooted sin in your life. At the feet of Jesus, there is deliverance for sinners. What a great mercy it is when you come to realize that you can't deliver yourself from your own sin that you need one who is infinitely more powerful than you to deliver you from your sin, to deliver you from your hopeless situation. See, your anger, it's not going to be cured by breathing and meditation. It's only going to be cured at the feet of Jesus. Your fear of man, it's not going to be cured by just gritting your teeth and having more courage. It's only going to be cured at the feet of Jesus. This is the only place that we can find deliverance at the feet of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And finally, why the pigs? Well, this brings us to our third point, that if we want to be gripped by the power of Jesus, we must embrace the demanding power of the gospel. We must embrace the demanding power of the gospel. Now, the first thing that we need to realize is that the moral question of the pigs is not something that's brought up in any of the gospels. The reality is we're not really told exactly why Jesus um, sent the demons into the pigs. In fact, there's kind of been like a cultural flip on pigs. In this day, they were just kind of seen as like a commodity. It was, almost, it was almost like money. Like if you had pigs, you were in a good position. Now we've completely turned so that we like really love pigs. In fact, you can pay for tours to go to a farm and pet pigs, which I don't really understand. I, you could go lay in a dumpster for completely free, and I feel like it would be the exact same thing. <laughs> But we've kind of turned around on pigs so that our reaction to the story might not be the original reaction to the story. Our reaction is, oh, those poor pigs. How could he do that to them? And I just want to say they might not have had that reaction. But I think there are a few reasons 
as to why Jesus would cast the demons into pigs. The first is this, that by casting the demons into the pigs, Jesus was putting his power on display so that none could deny that this man was delivered. They could not deny that the demons had left this man and gone to the pigs because that is a very rare thing to see, that pigs would just run off a cliff themselves. Now, the second thing that I think is proven by Jesus casting the demons into the pigs is that the demons desired destruction. And so again, it's not like the pigs just run away. Instead, they commit suicide. And it shows you that all along, what these demons wanted for this man that they were possessing was destruction. Now thirdly, and most importantly, what is significant to note here is that the pigs show us that Jesus values our deliverance so greatly that he will stop at no costs. The 2,000 pigs, they they would have represented an enormous livelihood for this village. To lose those pigs, it would have been a massive economic loss, but Jesus, he's so committed to delivering his children from the grip of the evil one that he will do it no matter the cost. So great is the value of delivering one human soul that the loss of 2,000 pigs, it doesn't even require a footnote. Of course it is worth it for Christ to save this man at the expense of 2,000 pigs. Jesus, he's showing us the cost of salvation. And where do we see the cost of salvation so clearly? It's in the cross. The cost of salvation, it's shown to us most clearly in the cross where the perfect son of God would die. There is nothing so valuable as him. Not 2,000 pigs, not, not 1 million pigs, and yet the Son of God himself, the perfect Son of God, would be nailed to a cross and die the death that he didn't deserve to die for those who deserved to die. He would die so that those who deserved death would receive eternal life. And this would be the greatest cost of salvation that Jesus Christ would give himself to deliver the lost. So we see the cost of Christ in the cross. But here in the story, we also see the demand of the gospel. See, once we experience the salvation of Christ, we need to be willing to embrace the demand of the gospel. And yet in verses 14 to 17, it shows us that those in the community would not embrace the demand of the gospel. And so look what it says in verses 14 to 17. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The whole community, it gathers around to see this amazing display of power, and it's so evident to them what has happened, because here is the untamable man sitting, tamed at the feet of Jesus. They see so physically the conversion of this man who used to be crying out and cutting himself, sitting calm at the feet of Jesus. They've seen his conversion. They've seen the power of Christ. And what would we expect their reaction to be? If they valued what Jesus valued, they would want him to stay. 
I'm sure that some of those people would want to be delivered from their own sin, from their own evil. And yet we don't see any of that. There's no thankfulness. Instead, we are told they were afraid. It wasn't his restoration that would have made him afraid. It was the power of Jesus that could cost them everything. It was the power of Jesus that demanded so much from them, even the cost of 2,000 pigs. What Jesus is teaching us this morning is that following him, it comes at a cost. That the gospel, it demands something from you. This is so important for us to hear in our culture because we come from a culture of easy believism. In our day to follow Christ, often the call is that you don't actually have to give up that much. Just read your Bible, pray, come to church, try to be a good person. But Jesus has a whole new definition. To follow him means that you are writing your life as a blank check to him. That you are saying, I have a new will, I have a new way, I want to do what Jesus is calling me to do. You have new desires, and they are to follow Jesus in every way. You embrace the demand of the gospel. Now, for some of us, we began our walk embracing the demand of the gospel. We remember a time when we were on fire for the Lord, when we would have done anything for him, but maybe now your passions for the Lord have dwindled. I think that's especially relevant for us to think about in this uh, COVID season. It's possible that in the midst of this pandemic, you've loosened your commitment to Christ. Maybe before the pandemic, you were just in a routine where you were serving Christ. You were serving the church. You were sharing the gospel. You are participating in small group. But COVID has changed the way that we need to participate in all these things. And maybe as, as the pandemic has changed the way that we participate in things like small group and serving and evangelism, maybe you just haven't been participating at all, in, in it at all. And maybe it's time for you to commit some serious thought to how you are going to follow the Lord in this weird season. Because you look over the past few months and you realize that you just haven't embraced the demand of the gospel. That you haven't really been following Christ. And so the question for you is, what are you going to do to follow Christ? How are you going to write your life as a blank check to him? Well, the crowd rejected the demanding power of the gospel. It's clear that the man who had been delivered embraced it. So it says in verses 18 and 19, it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everybody marveled. See, all those who have truly experienced the delivering power of the Savior, they embrace the demanding power of the gospel. This is cause for a heart check. See, this man, two things became a reality for him. First thing is that he longed to be with Jesus. And let me ask you this morning, do you long to be in the presence of Jesus? When was that last time that your heart was thrilled with the idea of spending time reading the scriptures and praying to your Savior? When was the last time you were so thrilled to draw near to Jesus Christ? See, those who have been delivered, there, there's this heartache to be in the presence of the Savior. 
And maybe you find yourself in a time where you just, your passions for Christ are dry. This is a time for repentance, to turn to the Lord and ask him to change you, that you might desire to be with him. This man longed to be with Jesus, but he also longed to follow Jesus so that he embraced the, the demanding power of the gospel. He committed his life to his service so that Jesus told him when, to go to, when Jesus told him to go home and tell his friends how much the Lord had done for him, he did exactly that. He was gripped by the power of Jesus, so he was caught up in the mission of Jesus. He had written his life as a blank check to Jesus, saying, whatever you will, that will be my way. This is the first Christian missionary that's recorded in the Gospel of Mark. A Gentile saved in front of the disciples, being sent to Gentile nations. And Jesus graciously saves this man so that he can answer the question for the disciples, who is this who has the power to stop the wind and the waves? They asked the question because they didn't know, and now it has been clearly displayed for them that this is the almighty God, the most high God who has power. The answer is so obvious that this is the Son of God who came to overcome the destructive power of his enemies, who came to deliver his children from it, and who came to call them to embrace the demanding power of the gospel. The question for the disciples and the question for us this morning is this, will we be gripped by his power? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have so clearly shown us the highest power that has ever existed in the history of this world, in Jesus Christ, the one who is able to deliver the most hopeless, the one who is able to deliver the undeliverable. Father, we thank you for him, and we thank you that this morning you have brought us here to hear so clearly of the power that Christ possesses and to call us to be gripped by it to leave this place longing to be in the presence of the one who has all the power to deliver us from the destruction of the enemy. And Father, I pray that it would be our desire to follow you, whatever the cost. God, work in the hearts of your children here a desire to embrace the gospel no matter what it costs us because we value it so greatly. And Father, I pray that you would cause to rise in our hearts worship because of your great power that you have displayed for us and to us. God, we pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.